0: you're listening to the avoid the trap podcast a show dedicated to helping bettors exploit the betting markets using unconventional strategies and tactics turn up the volume and listen closely the show starts now
1: So we are back with another episode of avoid the trap we have david Ant and a special guest Benjamin Rubin and Ant has told us that he is the smartest person that he knows. That's very intimidating to us. So we would like to (laughs) look more details about who this guy really is. So Ben, can you tell us a little about yourself? Like what do you do and what makes you the smartest man alive?
2: Man, you guys make the (laughs) standard so high. (laughs) Um, I work at a company called Planetech, and we, Uh, basically supply, math, odds, that kind of thing to uh, a large sports book. Well, we, to, to sports books in general. Um, a big customer of ours is BetChris. We specialize in our R and D department in live math. So as a match is progressing, uh, we have an automated system that provides, uh, up-to-date odds on hundreds of markets in, in several sports all in real time. Uh, completely automated. Very impressive. So who creates those models? That's something that you're in with creating the initial part of it. Yes. Um, we have a team and my, my role is the architect of the model, working with the team to finalize all the concepts, all the underlying stuff, the use of neural networks, how we're going to deploy them. Uh, but then my specialty is actually writing all the logic. So
3: are some of our people that are listening to us, they might be a little bit noobs. Like what takes, like, how do you, how does somebody start building a model? If, uh, you know, they want to create maybe a simple one, like, what are the things that like, uh, where would you start? Like, cause I've Googled before, how do I create a model? And I promise nothing much comes out. So, 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 uh, if someone's
2: trying to figure out how to build a model for sports betting or sports in general. Uh, I guess the the puzzle is how do you use past data to predict the future? There's a lot of ways you can do that, but well, what, what we have found most successful is we build a toy model, uh, which is a, a simulation model, which should be a lot like what the weatherman builds. Uh, well, the weatherman obviously doesn't build it, but that's underneath the construction of what is happening at the level of the sport or the level of the weather with all of the important information that's necessary um, simulated and all the unimportant stuff left out. So it's basically breaking uh, phenomena down to their um, most simple but, but necessary parts so that you can take something very complicated like the weather or a sporting event and make useful predictions you know, at, at very, very high and reliable speeds.
3: So as you guys can imagine, the way I think about it is, first you have to create a model that tells you if a basketball team is favored by six before you know the game starts, what is the price at six? What is the price at six and a half? What is the price at seven? So you have to start from the beginning of the game and then you have to somehow calculate or simulate the same results in throughout the whole game, right? Is that mm. so? So, so let's say I just wanted to start creating a model, but I don't, I don't care what happens during the game, but I only care to know how the landing percentages work in a certain sport. You know, like the buy cells of each spread. How do, uh, how does somebody like? What are the some of the things that somebody what kind of data somebody needs to get? Uh, so if you're just looking at pre-game,
2: and you wanna You want to try and keep things simple. If you want to know how to go from, let's say, the main spread of like minus 6.5 and and you want to turn that into minus 8.5, well, then of course, you're going to need to know the landing percentage of each number, or they call it the push rate in some places. So how likely is the 7? How likely is the 8? If you know how likely the 7 is and how likely the 8 is, then it's easier to go from 6.5 to 8.5. That's, you know, that's pretty simple math. You can look that up online, but a little bit more complicated would be, okay, for games with this spread and total, what is the landing percentage of the seven? What is the landing percentage of the eight? You might even want to know, like, if it's a playoff game, what is, how do the landing percentages change? All that stuff. So that's all kind of on the, a little bit more basic level in that you can do it all just by counting data and averaging things together, that kind of thing. And statistics, like they would call that a, a, the frequentist method is basically you look back at history and you just count uh, how many things happened that, that are uh, similar to what you're looking for. How did, how did I do answering your question?
3: Let's keep going with the simple stuff. Let's say I do, I I want to figure out the lightning percentages of certain numbers. A, I have two more questions. One is, do I, how big of a sample do I need to look back to actually feel confident about my number? Because obviously some spreads, you know, a f- team in a basketball game favored by 12, that happens a lot less than a team favored by three. And then my other question is, do the closing line of the odds, so meaning, so... I assume that if I'm an eight-point favorite, the landing percentage on the nine is different in a game where a team is only a three-point favorite Am I Definitely, definitely. Okay. So yeah, so what are those, what am I looking for? I think anytime you want to do measurements
2: like this, you're going to want to have thousands of samples, like probably at least a thousand, but hopefully five or 10,000. And then you're going to want to look and just see if for any particular thing you're measuring, like how often they land on the three. Well, if you only have one or two samples in your whole data set, then you, you're better off just guessing. Don't even try to get it from the data. Um, and that's, you know, that's part of modeling is like, we don't know the answers to everything from the data. At some point you have to also like trust your own intuition to marry the whole thing together. Can you break down what a sample is? What do you mean by, let me say sample. Yeah. So, um, if you're going through historical data to model something, if you want to ask a given question. Then you have to look at which uh, points in your data are relevant. So let's say you looked at five thousand matches. And let's say you are looking at tennis. But for the model that you're working on, you only want to look at, let's say, women's tennis. Well, if you have two thousand matches in your in your data that are women's tennis, then that's 2000 samples to look at. And if you wanted to break it down further, let's say you were only gonna look at women's tennis matches in majors. So French Open, US Open, Australian Open, Wimbledon, then that would go even further. Maybe now you only have 400 samples. And this is kind of the riddle of of modeling is the more specific you get, That is to say, the more you're looking at things which are really close to what you're interested in, the smaller your data sample gets. On the other hand, if you're willing to tolerate data that's kind of in the neighborhood, but not exactly what you were looking for, then your sample gets much bigger. That means you can see a lot more historical data points and get a more reliable read for what happened in the past. Because of course, history, uh has a lot of clues for what will happen in the future, but it also has a lot of random,
0: yeah, yeah, a lot of that's variance. When you say when you say women's tennis in Wimbledon or uh, just like NBA playoff games, it just kind of feels like that would be a lot of randomness, a lot of variance. like it wouldn't be a big enough sample size, especially NBA playoff games. I hear that, and I'm thinking i would I would just want any. Any information I can get there, not specifically playoff games. I'm trying to think how, if that would be efficient enough. But, I mean, you guys got it down. I I don't. I don't build models.
2: I, I agree with you. You would want to look at both. You'd want to look at the regular season and the playoffs. But you might notice some tendencies in the playoffs. For example, maybe with a spread of minus six, um, maybe the, the higher numbers don't land quite as often. So maybe even with the same spread, you're going to have a lot more closer outcomes because of kind of the nature of the playoffs. Like teams play more defense. There's probably like more referee bias contraction in the playoffs, that kind of thing. Whereas in the regular That's- season, it's a little more crazy.
0: That just feels like you're getting like super super thin with it, but I mean I guess you have to with the stakes and these places don't back winners out, etc. If they if they found some little angle like that and you didn't factor it in, you could take a, a beating. But that just sounds yeah, that sounds like you're getting really thin right there. But yeah, I agree. Not not
2: easy to use that information. I I kind of mean it as a hypothetical.
0: Yeah, this sounds real hard. Like I would stick to the regular season and like barely tweak it, but yeah, the, 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 probably I'm not good enough in math to figure that out. That's why I'm saying that.
3: <laughs> yeah. Like all that thought later, when we talk about the other subject, I wanted to talk about, like, this is actually, it would be a good way to, uh, jump into the other thing, but I got some more questions for Ben. Uh, so Ben. Uh, Obviously, there are people who listen to us. They're probably interested in what I call derivative betting, figuring out the landing percentages in certain games and bet when the other sports folks make a mistake. But they are probably also super interested in building predictive models. Are those harder, easier? Like, what are the major differences? You know, like, basically, models that predict what the spread of a game should be or what the total of the game should be very interesting
2: question well uh i know that when i first worked in the sports betting world i worked at pinnacle uh i had a very backward understanding of of modeling i thought that sports books made these incredible crack models to predict everything and then the customers came in and bet and reacting to their bets the line the sporting lines the prices got actually weaker over time because the bonehead customers were putting in their uninformed bets, and the sports book was moving, you know, according to all these monkeys. Of course, I had it basically 180 degrees wrong. Um, what you guys may know happens is it's, the sports book starts out with a very rudimentary line, which gets sharpened as more and more customers bet. Uh, that's something that Antonino taught me very early in my sports career um so this on the sports book side we don't tend to do very much actually with predicting the actual outcome of a match um like in you know, a straightforward manner we generally tend to believe that for example the closing money line the closing total the closing spread are very good indicators of, of what's going to happen um but if if you were to try and model that yourself, um, you, of course, have you have to look <laughs> at what has happened in the past, who's won and lost. Um, also, where the market has closed on given teams, where the market has opened on given teams. And then you want to try and figure out some factor that you think is not um, being well understood by the market. Maybe a team plays badly at home, badly in the first half, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, One other interesting thing, I think, when it comes to landing percentages, my understanding is that, for example, if you you think a team is going to win, then you think that the landing percentages where they win um, are going to be higher than the market predicts. If that's the case then it might be interesting to consider on the on the buy-sell um, buying some of those numbers uh, where where they would win, but not by quite as much as, as the market says. Because if it's, let's say, minus four and a half you want to bet on, then if you're right that, that your side is the right side, then maybe the four is not being priced high enough by the sports book if they're being consistent. That's something
0: that exactly I would look at. That's hard, that's hard. Sorry, I'm hearing him going, wow, because that's, that. how it is. Dave was a professional, better
3: probably has been taught that using the buy sells or buying points and selling points is something you should never do.
0: Yeah, I hear that. So, right, Dave? Well, yeah, and then when he, when he, sorry, I love this, because it's, it's I'm actually learning a lot once again. But once, when he says, oh, you might found that." If buying the four should be 17 cents in this, in, at this part of the game, it should be 14. I just kind of feel that that's great too. Like if you, if you feel you're onto something there, but yeah. I, and, and answer your question. Yes.
3: <laughs> that's fair.
0: Yeah. That's yeah.
3: fair. Well, <laughs> and then- here's the, pro- the problem, Dave, is that we assume that these buy sells are always correct because we think that the sports ropes. Right. The sports books, uh, you know, they always know. Uh, but yeah. there's, actually, yeah. there's actually, obviously, sometimes they don't know. And sometimes their buy cells are wrong. But there's also weird stuff that happens. Um, I remember at Pinnacle, the buy cells were adjustable when I worked there. So in certain games, you can make certain points worth more or less. And it was at trader's discretion. And it could be as something as simple as, we have a customer who comes in and he keeps buying a point, so we're just going to overcharge the point that he buys. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's like that's type of stuff happens all the time. Uh I had a sharp baseball customer who would always buy the two yes, on the run line. Right? Yes, we had uh, we have some very sharp customers who we'll always bet the plus two on the run line. Um, because that's so better. The total matters a lot in those spots, right? Uh, especially in a baseball run line. So, uh, so yeah, so there is times where the sports books are not doing it correctly. And I think that's what Ben was trying to explain. Yeah. And if you think about it, what is a bet? You know, you're basically saying that
2: one group of landing percentages is being underpriced and another is being overpriced. You know, at the end of the day, it's all just about which number is going to fall. So, if you think they're wrong about half of the landing percentages, you know, then you might have an opinion about any one particular landing percentage. It would only be like someone said, I think the NASDAQ is overpriced. Being able to then pick out one stock, you know, oh, I think uh, Square is overpriced, you know. it's Of course, there's more randomness. You're picking one out of a large field. Yeah, But yeah, because... I think there are lots of people who can get that deep.
0: Yeah, if you guys get that deep in your betting, then you guys are unreal. But when I, when I, if you, if somebody goes, well, in the history in this spot, eight falls a lot, I'm just kind of thinking in my head, all right, you kind of got to go like seven to nine in the range. And if eight's fallen like double what seven has, this is, I would always just think, yeah, it's just got to be variance. But I mean, depending on the sample size, of course. But yeah, you guys get real deep with your betting. Wow. <laughs> <I'm not nervous. laughs> Dave, is a nuts.
3: Dave is a top to bottom better. Nice. So,
0: you know, he's uh that's what he usually does. Well and then when when I see it offered, I mean I look at it out and just naturally I look at it all. And then I'm just go my whole mentality for it is uh, is I'm going, all right, if there's a huge if there's like a huge middle going on or there's a something like that, I'll go, all right, let's cut the variance down. If the price is, it seems like it's break-even. But if there is times where I'll bet it, and I'll go, wow, buying that to 15 at that point in the game actually seemed strong, you know? So I don't know. I don't know. You guys.
3: Uh, another example I want to give you, Dave. Uh, so do you know the soccer, um you could have a soccer game that has the same exact spread and the same exact total, and the buy sell, the buying points, and selling points before the game starts will be different just because certain leagues draw more than others. I know you don't bet soccer. <laughs> so, what is that? I'm trying to... So, so basically, so basically, there's a a drill function in the line where, um, am yeah. correctly? Uh, so basically, certain leagues are more likely to draw than other leagues, just the way they play. They play their soccer. So you can have two minus half a goal games with the same as a total, but to buy to the draw to the zero zero, it will be it will be priced differently because they're two different leagues.
0: But Even it has to more. There has to be a part of that experience like it. When you say it has the same line, same total, I would just go, all right, this is
3: definitely, and that's what I would think too. It's the same as that game. How can the buy sell be different? But of What's course, the log-
0: excuse me. What's the logic that there's more draws in one league? than? Oh, it's, that- just, it's,
3: it's, it's just historical data tells us that certain leagues draw way more than other leagues, you know, after many, many, many seasons. And it's also just the way they play soccer in certain countries versus others.
0: So then, so then your guys, your guys don't bet the draw at all on those other (laughs) (laughs) things. Correct. And, and when you're betting those numbers,
3: you're they're to you, they're worth different amounts because there's extra chance
0: of drawing or not drawing. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's interesting. But, but I just, when you go, well, for whatever reason, they just draw more. I'm just, I'm just dying to know that, but why, <laughs> like why, why?
3: No, they draw more just maybe the way they might play the game or the way it's ref or the way, the uh, the coaches of that particular countries learned how to play the game. It's just could be many reasons that I, to be honest, I don't even know the reasons why they're drawing more, but there's definitely. Leagues that have a higher drawing contraction than others. And that's just yeah.
0: It, it's it's inter- it's interesting to me. <laughs> what what about what about a spot like I remember a few years ago. I, I don't know if I'm getting off topic. I remember a long time ago where literally every and it became just it was so public that it was it was almost unreal. Where the Warriors would they still kinda do it, where they would sandbag and then wait till the second half and then just cover the second half line. Or I lost, I lost. I lost a lot of money in those spots, but yeah,
3: uh, that was yeah. a period, it was a season where the Warriors always were losing at halftime, but then ended up winning the second half. But or yeah, I don't know. What do you the numbers? To be honest, What's I what you do with your specific. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> I ignore in those spots, but like, there's a uh, there's that other thing uh, that's happening lately in the NBA where when a team going back home down old two in a playoff series, like the first half line will be crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh in in those spots, if I was to bet one of those, I would bet the crazy value or the perceived value. Yeah. But history but history tells us that in the last couple of years I would have been a big loser if I did that.
0: So Yeah, but 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 can I say something real quick? So, so- when you have those like crazy first half and full game splits, and then you go, well, in the long run, though, it's supposed to be adjusted this much. I don't know. I'm going down with the ship. I'm going to keep betting that first half. Because it just, it doesn't, it's got to be very and It's still got to be, it has to The, re- the reason why
3: it's being traded that way, it's A, because people are betting it that way. And B, because they believe that if you're down 0-2, when you go back home, you are really fight art the first half, but not the second half. It makes no sense when I say it aloud, but that's the reasoning why they're being traded that way.
0: <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely, still bet those splits. It's got to be very there. Yeah, <laughs> I now the public's even betting that more. So, so you're so now there's a skew there. The handles big and in just island NBA games. No, you have to keep going with that one. I'm going to remember last year there was a game where it was one team
3: minus three, and the first half was also minus three or something <laughs> absurd.
0: But <laughs> no, that's minus three right there, full game. Yeah. Or whatever. Plus, yeah. Some of this is various. I'm just sure. But I don't know. Mike, do you have uh, any other questions for Ben or should
1: we go to see it? Do y'all, is it all sports? Are y'all doing this for bit, Chris, or just
2: NBA soccer? Uh, at Planetech, we we do most sports: um, NBA, NFL, college sports, tennis, cool. soccer. Yeah, all the big ones. My
1: question was: is if you build a model. And it's, you know, regular season base, you know, everything's built off that. And then here comes March Madness tournament. You got this max effort from these kids. Do all those regular season numbers kind of go out the window at that point?
3: I mean, I know it's a little bit there, but isn't there a whole different ball game at that point or not? So basically, obviously for them to build just a playoff model, it's something they, they don't really do that. Uh, maybe one day when there was infinite time, they would probably, they could try building one. But usually there, that's where the trader has to use a little bit of his brain to figure out when things don't apply, and that's a good segue. Then maybe we can talk about the Fedex thing, right? Because I think they they go hand in hand. Have you guys been following this on Twitter? Yeah, real quick before
1: we get into that, if you don't mind, like I, I'm over here watching like Arkansas. I think Arkansas, Arkansas and Kansas last weekend, and yeah, got kids. Oh, I know that they have some like. NBA lottery picks on their on Arkansas's team, but there are max effort diving, blocking shots that are going out of bounds. I mean, it's like these guys would not do that in the regular season. There's no way, you know, they're at max effort. That's why my question was there was more like, it's got to be how much can you base off regular season versus it, when it comes to
2: playoff. You know, you know, max effort March Madness time is My opinion, but yeah, go ahead with your. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing to think about is. If you use a live model, it's kind of like a, you're sort of like building a framework and you're gonna in, in live sports, which is kind of, which is what I work on, um, you come into the, the match from, you know, from the model's perspective with the pregame numbers as, as, as your inputs. Those are your major inputs, basically the pregame numbers and then what's happened in the match. So if a team is trying a lot harder or you know going to have their best players play more minutes or whatever that's all going to be in theory reflected in the pregame numbers right so it's not like we're just going to say okay it's it's arkansas against whoever whatever school you know we'll just use the regular season arkansas map no it doesn't what doesn't work that way it, it would be the the pregame total the pregame spread the pregame money line you know the first second half splits Uh, and then, you know, model it like a regular basketball game. Might there be like some, some things, there's probably some strategy stuff, you know, last 30 seconds, maybe they do something different, try to get a two for one or hold the ball or whatever. And that stuff definitely matters. And like, like that's really hard to model that, that, you know, we've seen things where, especially like in football coaches are changing strategies every couple of years, you know, um, so that kind of thing very hard to capture, but the kind of fundamentals of a game, I think those are largely captured more than you might think, just by the the pre-game numbers.
3: Yeah, the uh, like a, a good example of something that the uh, that a model cannot capture is when a uh, in the March Madness, like some of these teams are fouling while they're twelve points down with a minute to go. Yeah. So, uh, So like that would not normally happen in like a normal game. That's like super hard to model, right? Those spots. Good to be a human in that spot, not a robot.
0: Yeah. So 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 if you have some type of anomaly like that, you just start pulling the total off with like five minutes left in the game. Well,
3: yeah. Basically, as a trader, as a trader, if the game starts sticking trending that way, you would take the game down sooner, or. You would jack up the total by a few points. However, you think you quantify all those fouls. So it's really, it just really depends on the, depends on the trader. They should do something about it. Obviously. Yeah,
0: Cause if I, if I have a 20 point pregame favorite and the game's tied and there's five minutes left, I mean, I'm so lost with, because there's so many things now. It's like, yeah, I'm so lost. I, I just pull that total off because yeah, now this is, <laughs> you, you don't have a sample size of that happening. No, the, and,
3: yeah. and also it's hard to quantify that stuff right like is the coach yes. gonna
0: foul while he's 12 down and not 15 down I have no idea you know they are they, the 20 point dogs are definitely doing that and then and then also the yeah the favorites in denial that they're gonna actually lose and they're gonna foul so yeah this gets <laughs> weird so but yeah good
3: rule of thumb is when you don't know when the line should be or what it should go be you should just take it off when I used to, when I used to teach my traders how to trade I used to always tell them, if you get five bets in a row all on the same side, you can probably safely take the game down. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but I just want to say one thing, um,
2: response to what you said, Sean. When we work on these live models, um, you mentioned sample size. We're not really in the realm of sample size anymore. Um, what, what we're doing is we're actually simulating the match. So we're taking like the the, the the fundamental ingredients like uh, the basically how many points we think they're going to score per possession based on the pregame lines, the rules of the match, the normal likelihood of say a foul in basketball or a red card in soccer, etc. and and we're running a simulator which takes that information and and runs it fifty thousand times and gives us all the different probabilities. We're not saying okay. Let's go on our database and grab all the games where a twenty point favorite is tied with five minutes to go like that would be that would be a non starter like you you can't do that with live sports um so that's why we have to to build very complicated machinery um, in order to have a model that generalizes and and that's kind of the a big step in any type of of modeling is going from just looking at historical data, so that's that's called like if you want to get philosophical, the the frequentist approach, you're just like counting, versus making an actual model that has like its own character, as it were, and and using that to make very generalized predictions, and then judging that against okay, how does that do against historical data? Like if
0: we yeah. actually plug it in and give it a shot, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, right. So you're you're. So do you still have a passion for doing, you you obviously still have a passion, right? For doing this and you want to get as close to perfect as like, like a God as you can be, right? And you still, you're still a lot of passion. There's a
2: lot in designing these models. That's interesting. One thing that I didn't know before I got really deep into it is that, um, it's not just about math or sports or gambling, That actually like design and programming is extremely important. Um, and just like what, what might sound boring, but just like doing the most high value thing first, and then the next highest value thing second and finding ways to do things that are reusable and robust don't break often. Um, that kind of thing I've, I've gotten very passionate about just because I've seen how powerful it is to just program things in a good way versus probably earlier in my career. I was much more excited about big concepts or figuring out, you know, where the market was right, where the market was wrong, new ideas, things other people had never tried. Um, now I just, I find it more exciting to just see what works you know, what, what type of engineering works, like, which types of algorithms tend to function, which ones are really difficult to replicate, which ones are difficult to maintain, um, as you get further along, like, these seemingly boring, practical, everyday things, uh, loom really large.
0: Has, has, all, has,
2: all, has doing all of that helped you with your pregame betting? As of, as of this as... moment? Um, it certainly gives me ideas. Um, and, you know, if
3: one day I go back into betting, uh, perhaps. Yeah, because uh, there's a misconception that these people like Ben are trying to get a okay. model perfect. Because to get it perfect, it's actually impossible, I think. Uh, well, so sometimes, too Yeah, sometimes modelers, they'll spend infinite time figuring out what the money line should be in the last one minute of a basketball game. Who cares? Right? Like, you know, yeah. it's not that. It's not that important. Like you don't need to know because A, you can't bet it anywhere. B, no other sports book offers it. So there's a lot of like things that, you know, that they spend like what Ben's saying, trying to get things that work and to move from one sport to another and carry those, those concepts over and to actually make one thing perfect. But if they had an infinite amount of time to work on one sport, eventually it would be perfect, but that's not the reality that these companies have. Yeah. Agreed. I yeah. agree. And it, it makes you
2: wonder, like, we have our little engineering department. <laughs> there's about eight of us. Um, and there's a couple other departments doing similar things. And even in our little groups, like, we sometimes have a hard time staying everybody, you know, on the same page, marching in the same straight line. Really makes you wonder. A company like Google, Amazon, Facebook, like, they just add tens of thousands of employees. Like, what do all those people do? And then of course, when they lay off ten thousand people, you say, "Okay, well,
3: maybe they weren't doing that much." So yes, that's uh, have you you guys want to go into so or you guys. All right, so on Twitter, Fezix the other day posted that people should be betting the Purdue money line, which the line he was telling people to bet was forty five hundred.
0: And that was wait to elaborate on that. Sorry, I I want to know like what point of the game or you're saying pregame pre game yeah
3: uh and he was
0: saying that that
3: was a play that in his mind was was a 99% play
0: i i get like the logic if you i understand because the break even there where you have to be right i don't know, what, like 97% i don't know okay anyway yeah, yeah i understand so 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 basically it had me thinking and what it
3: had me thinking was that if 40 4500 it's something that that happens 97 percent of the times. even if you tell me that it went 100 percent of the times, I still think I wouldn't bet it. There's so many better edges to be at that I don't think anybody should be betting minus 4,500 like on anything. Now, maybe I'm
0: crazy?: You're right, too, because back in the day when I used to do a lot of scalps, I had limited money, and I could at the at, I could I could time my money up to make like 20 bucks. Almost anytime I want it, but I'm going, no, there's better spots for me with this money. So, especially there, taking all that risk to win so little. Go ahead, sorry to interrupt. And,
3: and then another popular person on Twitter, I uh, was some, he's pretty smart. His name is L U. He said, Oh, great, bad. I make that fair value minus, minus 10,000. And, and something that I want to be careful of, the reason why I feel people think that Purdue was a good bet, it was because a minus 23 on the spread should be much higher than minus 4,500 on the money line. So, so these people are telling people to bet what is perceived value, but what they don't realize is that their money line charts don't really work because how many minus twenty three favors have we had lifetime in the tournament bracket scenario? So that's why that's why I said, hold on your thoughts earlier because I actually believe that the March Madness is played in a different way than normal basketball, and I think that those money line charts that people have don't really apply to March Madness. And the reason why I believe that is, A, they're playing this elimination game. They don't play normal basketball like that usually. And B, a lot of these college players for the first time are playing in these huge arenas that are actually different fields than normal basketball courts. Meaning that the space between like, you know, an example is the space between the basket and the wall behind the basket is way bigger than it usually is. So, so there's, Couple of things I wanted to say. One was, don't think that sometimes your money line chart apply in these type of situations. And B, if even if you find a play that's going to win a hundred percent of the times, but you're ninety seven percent in implied probability, you probably
0: should still not bet it. You know, because It'll, mentally too, when you lose that one, you're, you are you want to jump off a cliff. There's a lot of factors. You know. <laughs> yeah.
3: Spanky basically was saying, I don't bet those because I care about my well being or my health, my, my mind, uh, you know, mind healthness. this. Um, yeah. yeah. Like when you bet those things, the best feeling you could have is relief when when it wins. Like, <laughs> why, would you, why would you put yourself in that spot? I just don't understand.
0: No, you're, 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 if you factor in mental sanity and then some guys, if they're just total robots and they can lose those every once in a while and be fine, but most of us can't lose those and be fine, you know? So if you factor that in, yeah. But here's an interesting spot.
3: let's say I called you up one day and I said, listen, I have a fixed game, right? Uh, you should bet it. At what price would you stop betting it? Like that's like the type of like mind think that I want our listeners to have. Because if somebody calls me with a fake game like tip and says bet it, I'm probably still going to stop at like minus 2000, you know, like me, Antonino, like out of stopping at some point. If the line moves too far, I'm probably stopping.
0: To fix the game, too, you need so many parts of the the machine, the the machine to go well. but,
3: but, But believe it or not, there's enough fixed games per day in all the various sports that those exist. I know it's hard to believe, American sports aren't fixed. But Challenger tennis, esports. There's uh, uh, European crappy basketball. There's some volleyball, Russian volleyball, tons of fixed games every day. Indian cricket, there's it's just crazy. Like, there's actually corporations that the only job to do is figure out fixed games and report them to the authorities. Even if you get a tip on a fixed game, like at what point do you stop betting? That's why I really didn't like the FedEx tweet, and uh, yeah, I want to tell all our listeners don't not bet things that, you know, that only have two percentage, and you have to lay it minus 4,500.
0: Well, where do you draw the line on, on laying big juice like that on a on a money line? No fix in there, just a regular like, where do you draw the line? Something like minus 400, you, you stop there, do you draw the line? I, uh, I don't do I, I, I've bet minus a thousand
3: playing tape. Uh, I, I basically think that I have to have a really big edge for me to bet it. Okay. And so you know if I'm betting something at minus a thousand that has I don't know proper probability ninety five percent, I would probably bet it, right? But it's kind of uh, it's if you know if I have five percent edge, I would probably bet it, no problem. It really depends, but. I would definitely. There's nothing I would bet at minus 4,500. Nothing at all. Probably 2,000 <laughs> at my limit.
0: Yeah, and that's just got to be mental well-being. Because if you identified something at 99.9, 9, you're you're laying minus 4,500 4, if the numbers tell you to. But the mental well-being is <laughs> the killer there. I mean, it's just a killer It's a killer. <laughs> M- Micah
3: strikes me somebody who lays big favorites. Uh, Micah, what's the biggest favorite you ever laid? Hmm. Oh man, I have crazy story in college when I
1: was you know thought I had it all figured out. I had well, I was buying picks from these people and uh, I had built you know, a decent. I mean, am I at that time a decent bankroll of twenty thousand? Right, mm-hmm. just started from five hundred dollars. Five hundred dollars first deposit in a site called Jackbet. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, built it up to twenty thousand. I thought I had it figured out. I was uh. Brooklyn Nets were playing the Detroit Pistons. Pistons were minus eight. I don't had no idea about pricing, what it mattered, but they're minus eight. No way they're gonna lose outright. It's not possible. <laughs> um, I put the whole twenty thousand on it. Now I'm in college, I'm a broke kid, but I, I had built this bankroll up and I was like thought I was a millionaire at the time. You know, with that and you thought it was easy money. Oh, freaking easy money, man. Easiest money with yes, kickers lined up. It was Easy money. That's how I built it. These guys lined up, all in, all in, all in, 20K, like, two days later, right? <laughs> I went all in, went to baseball practice, and came back, and I was a loser. It was, I mean, but I, I don't remember the pricing at that time, but I have, uh, before I even met you guys, like, I man, I used to go to Las Vegas. I'll, are you familiar with the horse races where they own the carriage? You, they, the horse racing, It was a guy standing up on the carriage and me and a buddy of mine used to, uh, lay on the biggest favorite, oh, we can risk a thousand and make a free $50. They're huge favorites, right? And our bankroll goes busted that day in Vegas cause they got to get to a certain line before it starts It's kind of confusing and they didn't even make the line, I don't know. I, I've done some full degenerate stuff in my, in my life. I've seen you play craps. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Press 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 man, but I, that's
0: that's a, just a have have fun fun time. <laughs> so, so was, right. was it was it more to have fun or you really thought you were on to something? And back then, yeah.
1: No, oh, I thought no. It, at the time, my mental my mental state was I had it figured out. Okay. As far as these certain handicappers lined up on a game, oh, it's a. I was following a few different guys, and when they lined up, you went away. Yeah. I had it figured out, and well, I don't know. I'm a 22 year old kid, and I thought this was the easiest money ever. Um, But yeah, at the time, I really thought that I had it figured out.
3: Yes. So, a good lesson for our listeners is uh, even if you have a huge edge, you still have to be really careful how you manage your back roll. Because I'm sure there's plenty of people with real edges who are super smart, well, went bust up because they didn't know how to manage their bankroll. Mm-hmm. So you got to give yourself enough time to get that luck out of there. So yeah, I knew if I knew what I knew now, when I was
1: 20, it'd be a, I'd be a different, different luck. Instead of being a millionaire, you'd be a billionaire. Yeah, mean, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be working.
0: The live breading place.
3: He'll <laughs> <laughs> be Mr. Pinnacle himself. <laughs> All right, guys. Anything else?
1: That's it, man. I, I I appreciate you guys being on. Thank you, Ben, for coming on with us. Appreciate that. It was very, very interesting. interesting. You yeah. live up to your standard.
2: Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> very, very kind.
3: Very kind. I see you, Dave. See you, Mike. Thank you for listening to the Avoid the Trap Podcast.
0: If you'd like more betting tips or want to learn how you can partner with us, go to our website, www.avoidthetrap.com. Until next time, remember to the victor belong the spoils.